0: everyone welcome to the scope where our goal is to take a nuanced and detailed look at player injuries rehab performance and sports culture via a holistic and multidisciplinary lens my name is raj aka dr rajpaul brar i'm a doctor of physical therapy with an interest also in sports obviously but more so in movement and kind of just how things interconnect my co-host is jason blevins and i'll let him introduce himself
1: yeah that all sounded very serious i hope (laughs) we have
0: this
1: (laughs) uh jason blevins uh jay blevins mba on twitter i uh I am a beat reporter. I cover the Philadelphia 76ers for the Painted Lines. We uh, cover a, a number of different NBA markets and G League markets. So uh, my my background is a technologist. Uh, I am a systems engineer by trade. So um, I take uh, I come at this from more of a um, more of a technology uh, background. So I think Raj and I can can come at uh, these topics from a, a few different angles, and that's sort of why uh, we wanted to start this, right? We want to look at these uh, these sort of topics from maybe angles that other people aren't hearing from your traditional basketball analysts or, or sports analysts.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and that's the goal, is definitely to have some fun with it, but also to be able to connect the dots. For example, my background's also in Social welfare and business and strategy, but then the real passion also of course, is within sports, and so we're kind of the point is to try to use all those lenses to give a unique perspective on topics and have some fun with it as well
1: yeah, speaking of fun how was uh how was your last week?
0: Not too bad man Just super super yeah. busy uh the clinic always keeps me busy I work at Two different clinics, my own, where I have kind of my all non-insurance clients. And I work at a also at a, at a place called University Foot and Ankle Institute, Foot and Ankle okay. Lower Bodies, my specialty. So it's been super busy, a lot of stress from this Dodgers series. And so <laughs> uh, the whole China situation going on, which is really, really interesting as well. How's Very your week been?
1: Uh, it's been super busy. So I had one day off. We did the... Um... We've had preseason started last night, so I was, I was there for the uh, the game against the Guangzhou. I think is how they're pronounced, the uh, Luang mm-hmm. Lions, and um, that was uh, that was a very interesting night. Good good way to kick off a preseason, going against a non NBA uh, opponent. You get catch a sweat and uh training camp was last week so obviously that was really busy we had a uh intra intra squad scrimmage in my in my hometown of wilmington delaware we, we shout out wilmington delaware and uh we actually i don't know if we talked about this before but we um we sponsor um a uh a kids rock band virtuoso they they actually made a movie about it uh nice. about this program school of rock uh so um paul green the, the uh founder of the school of rock he, he is a huge huge basketball fan and i sponsor his uh, his program so they played a concert there so getting getting that that was their first uh in-game concert as a house band and then sunday i uh Laid a foundation for a new shed in the background, uh, in the backyard. So, so by Monday morning, I felt like I was hit by a truck.
0: <laughs> there <laughs> so, you
1: go. Yeah. yeah, it's been it's been a been an interesting week.
0: Nice man. Hey, Matisse Tybalt looked pretty good last night. He. Uh,
1: He looks like he is ready to play in the NBA, which you can't say about a lot of rookies. But, you know, this new philosophy of getting four-year guys uh, versus years and years of getting 18-, 19-year-olds and then putting them on a bench with a very specific role that fits their skill set, I think, is paying off. You see in in Los Angeles, Landry Shamit was able to do the same thing last year. You ask him to do a very, very a limited number of things that fit exactly their skill set and lo and behold, they can make an immediate impact. That's good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and it makes sense for a team that's now contending. If you want someone to contribute, you want to put them into a limited scope, fit the role to their strengths and then let them expand from that, right? Rather than throw them in the deep end, which is fine for some guys if they're on a new team and they have their own team. That's not really contending. But in the case of him, like like Matisse, I mean he's a he looks at like a bona fide three and D guy, of course, small sample size. So we'll keep seeing how he progresses.
1: It's amazing. His stocks, you know, steals plus blocks were five point eight last year. Um mm. which is which is wild. He had more steals than rebounds and more blocks than assists last year as a as a two-three sort of rangy wings, so very interesting player with a very specific niche um and I think he's going to be very useful uh but speaking of 19 year olds 18 19 year olds and 22 year olds I think um what do you think about Zion coming into the league but one of the things and you've seen him up close is having Lonzo Ball there I think is almost a perfect sort of parry. And you've now got a like 22, 23 year old Lonzo. Oops. You know?
0: I mean, yeah, I think it's a great combination. I think you know my love affair with Lonzo goes way back. And so uh, he's always had the skill set. Now that the Laker jersey is off, people can actually see it, which is nice. It's that Laker lens is, is lifted. But like you said, I mean, Lonzo, com- when paired with Zion, is a co- great combination because. Lonzo, of course, a great passer, but he understands right. when to get you the ball and in what spots. And that's where Zion really excels. When he has a when he has an angle and he already has that ability to get into the paint and he gets the ball in the right spot, he's right. going to knock you off your spot even if you do beat him to the spot, right? And so having a player like Lonzo there, even Giroud to a lesser extent as well, guys mm-hmm. who can get him the ball in the right spot – you can combine it with his athleticism and ability to finish, like we saw last night, he had that one kind of up and under layup, which to me was the most impressive. We already know he can dunk, but to me what the most impressive is, is his ability to adjust in air and be able to finish in the paint, especially yeah. considering he, I mean, he does have, he has, he has a relative size disadvantage, which he makes up with his athleticism. And so I mean, it's, they're going to be a really, really fun team to watch The question was, uh, go ahead. I I just think
1: that he has a size disadvantage in some respects, but he's, you know, he's almost as wide as he is tall. And there's, we've seen other players come into the league with that, the really broad shoulders and and just sort of the wide hips and be able to, um, to create space for themselves, even if they're maybe not as tall, but he's got the, you know, he's, yeah. he's probably got the wingspan. His effective standing reach is probably that of a six, eight, six, nine guy. So, you know, that's all that really matters. So we, we had oh. this whole thing about, uh, you know, official precise measurements, but I, I maintain none of that in shoes, outer shoes matter. Standing reach, tell me what their standing reach is. And that's, that's the, uh. That's the real metric that
0: matters. No, absolutely. Even with the out of shoe thing, everyone is now being tested out of their shoes. So it's not like there's these you know they're being lied to about their height. And except if you're Marvin Bagley, who somehow went from six eleven to six He must have been wearing high heels or something when he got when he had his uh, first height test. But yeah. in general, everyone you take off an inch or two, and you now have their true height. The only one, the only reverse one I saw so far was KD, who was actually six ten, out of his shoes rather than 6'9. And if you see some of his pictures against guys who who were listed like Bagley during mm-hmm. USA training camp, he was definitely taller than them, which makes sense. But to your point, like you've said, you know, with with Chuck Round mound of rebound, even recently with Draymond Green, it's all about leverage and how to use your body because you you see guys who are who are athletic, who are tall, but they still, create, they still can't create space because they don't understand how to leverage themselves. Whereas Zion really understands how to use his power and his explosion and his athleticism. Now, yeah. something a lot of people have talked about is his weight and is, if he's carrying too much weight. So what, Let what's, me ask you this.
1: Yeah, so, so here's my concern. Uh, when he hits that rookie wall and he's suffering from dead leg, fatigue, things like that, I worry that that weight, he's going to come down wrong a few times. And I I do think it adds some increased risk. Uh, I think he's more at risk maybe than others for sort of the rookie wall. Um, so I expect him to come out for that first 20, 25 games really really looking good but i do worry about how he how his health uh maintains through that middle part especially of his rookie year is that is that a legitimate concern from you or 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 do you think i'm i'm worrying too much
0: no i think it is a legitimate concern but the problem is here's the thing it's easy to look at absolute values say someone's weight what i always try to look at is how they got to that weight or how they got to where they are. We, have a very, we don't really know what his training protocols look like. So if he's earned that weight and he's earned that muscle mass. With strength and conditioning that's appropriate and it's incremental. His body has now adapted to that level of weight and mass. For example, we know that appropriate strength training is by far the most preventative when it comes to reducing injury risk. That being said the rookie wall always has to be taken into consideration because these guys are now going to be playing at a higher intensity and higher volume than they ever have before in their life. So the question becomes with him, what's his cardiovascular fitness like and how will that impact him on the court as well? When it comes to his sheer weight, That I'm not as concerned about, but when it comes to the rookie wall, it will be interesting to see, to your point, how he responds to that and how he's able to recover through that. Now, the question might be that his strength and conditioning program might be good enough where he's able to mitigate some of that fatigue because muscles in the end are the body's biggest shock absorbers. They're the ones that take stress away. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. They're the ones that take stress away from your joints. And that's why strength training, when done correctly, is by far the most effective thing you can do for your body. So the question becomes, I don't know enough about Zion, from, but from what I understand is that he's always kind of been a gym rat. He's always progressed in a certain way. and he, And he's naturally built a little bit bigger. So... So there's a, there's a, there's a fine balance you always have to find when it comes to building mass, but there's also a question of, there is some guys who are able to carry more weight and some guys who are able to carry more mass naturally, that is part of the genetic spectrum. And so that will be something definitely interesting to keep an eye on. Some of the things that I actually look more at with Zion are some of his movement patterns. For example, he jumps so high and he lands so, with, from so much height, it puts a lot of stress through his body. Now, right. his muscle mass will be able to absorb that. But, but watch sometimes when he lands, he's landing on one leg. It's often on a straight knee. I don't want to say often. Sometimes <laughs> it's on a straight leg. And we know that puts a lot more stress through your joints than, say, landing in a controlled manner
1: and And that was that was sort of my question is when fatigue becomes a factor, when he starts to hit that rookie right. ball, when his let's say his leap um that he's used to timing from a certain spot, um getting to a certain spot, hanging on the rim maybe for safety, um but he loses a little bit of that and now you know the way his brain is calculating all of those movements maybe he lands awkwardly a few times that's that's i think the danger zone for him is is when he starts to hit that that fatigue um that fatigue level so it'll be interesting to watch because i think he's going to be fantastic over the long long haul i actually talked with charles barkley three weeks ago or so and he brought up his name
0: drop name drop alert
1: well he he brought up his yeah. his uh his early career uh mentorship from moses malone and moses essentially forced him into a very rigorous uh weight loss uh and conditioning program um because he just moses just felt he was too heavy to, to play sustainably for a long time and uh It'll be interesting to see if if Zion's getting some of that advice. There is no sort of um, I don't think that team has a has a legend like Moses Malone who could get away with saying some something like that to a number I mean, one pick in the draft. But.
0: JJ, JJ Redick. <laughs> J, uh, let me tell you, he's
1: a hell of a hell of a veteran. Hell of a veteran, not going to be. He is a consummate professional around his own game, not going to spend a lot of time yelling at other guys about what they need to do.
0: Right, right. Then he, he comes off to me as a type who expects you to do your job and he'll do his. He'll do his job. He's, right. he's, he's you know, he's barely, I
1: mean, he's a fantastic story of someone with a negative wingspan who's been able to become a, a really, really tremendous uh, NBA player but you know I, I wouldn't I don't know how much Zion can really learn from JJ uh, maybe maybe some of his warm-up habits uh, yeah while we're talking about weight though he's got a teammate on the other end of the spectrum that you've also spent quite a bit of time around Brandon Ingram has he mm-hmm. been able to put on any any strength and weight I mean I feel like strength and Muscle is the number one thing sort of holding him back from from really leaping into the into the upper third of the league's players.
0: Yeah, so there's a, there's a difference between. I wrote about this last year actually for for Brandon Ingram, the difference between muscle mass and strength, where it's not always a one to one correlation. So if you watch Ingram play, especially last year. He is able to root guys off their spot. He actually plays with physicality. He understands when to use leverage. He's really good at using leverage, but there does come a point where you still need to develop some muscle mass, right? And I haven't seen him enough in the in the preseason and honestly, it's hard to judge this year because he was not able to do anything over the off season because the blood clot issue where he had the the, the, most the first rib removed. So he really wasn't able to do anything actively to address that. So, and during the season, it's really hard to, to build any sort of fitness. You're just trying to maintain what you got because these guys are, you're running yourself ragged. And so speaking of the first rib, yep. I'm
1: going to, I'm going to transition us to another, um, young player who had a similar, um, who reportedly had a similar, um, condition. Uh, Markel Fultz. Have you seen any of his early play?
0: I have, I have, I mean, I saw some of his jump shots, but none of them have still been standstill jumpers. Right. Unless I'm correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong.
1: No, it's all been pull up off the dribble and, yeah. and he's forcing himself into somewhat of a rhythm, but I think we saw some of this last year i I worry that you know it's he he's always gonna be at risk for some regression uh but it's great to see him out there and and hopefully he's able to push through the mental, the mental oh absolutely and and really maintain this
0: yeah, for one, I mean being in Orlando rather than Philly is a big boost for him. He doesn't have the pressure of being on a contender right now so that in and of itself is great um i don't even know how many people know there's a team in orlando anymore so that's great for him to be off to be off the radar like that Uh, so and what's you know
1: what's sad is they were a seven seed and they were they are truly a point guard away from being a really dangerous team there's a lot to like they are
0: oh absolutely on
1: there and um you say there's no pressure and that's kind of true but really he he would be the theoretical missing piece to that team be, becoming maybe a five seed, you
0: know. Absolutely, but I, I, like you said, I caution with him until he shoots a a catch and shoot jump shot that's not off a rhythm dribble. Most of has been most of his have been off rhythm, whether it's a fake spin or off the pull up. And like you said, we've seen him do that before, and that actually primes your motor pattern. It can get around some of those those little hitches that he's had in his jump shot because he gets you into rhythm. That's why guys like doing that one, two step or that jump stop or that sidestep, like CP three lo- loves to do. So it just it primes your jumper and allows your, your motor pattern to take over. The problem with him, as we've always seen is at a standstill, he still seems to have, well, he hasn't shown, I guess if he's over the ability to take a standstill jumper and right. not, have have that issue. I mean, his form is still drastically different than when it was at UW. Yeah, it's it's a
1: fascinating thing. It's really, it's a hard thing to talk about. It shouldn't be, you know, you've, you and I have talked about it before that yep. there shouldn't be as much stigma around it. I hope we can get into that someday where it's it's all out on the table there there are no secrets anymore it's all behind everyone and we can have a real open conversation without sort of going into any uncomfortable areas right now i hope the best for him um and you know as much as philadelphia um begged him and and was openly supportive almost to the point of condescension last year around encouraging him to just shoot the ball um it, uh it, the stakes are lower, I agree, in Orlando. So let's hope for the best for him. By the way, did you see that last night? The, speaking of the crowd. They, I knew where you're going. I know they, where you're going. They absolutely willed Ben Simmons to take that uh that three, three. At the end of the half. And uh and so did the defenders, let's face it. But it was about a twenty five, twenty six footer from that wing and uh, you know. Nothing but net. It, 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 I don't think it touched the rim, so you know that thirteen thousand people that were in attendance sounded like a solid twenty thousand people when he hit that. So, oh yeah,
0: more toward, power to him.
1: You know, he gets so tired of talking about it, and I don't like talking about it. I don't like asking about, it, but you you have to recognize the moment, and uh, you know the the crowd in Philadelphia is absolutely part of the game. They're engaged, they know who who's got what skill sets, they know when guys are dogging it, that, you know, they are an open book, an emotional, raw nerve, um and uh, you know, let's let's see more of that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean Simmons like faults still won't shoot a catch and shoot jumper either. So let's see, once he starts to take that, then we'll know he has some confidence in it. Yeah
1: it's such a hard thing to talk to him about because he doesn't want to talk about it. And yet you want to be respectful about the discussion, but there is a debate to be had and it's not as simple as just, you know, he has to shoot. So
0: yeah, yeah. absolutely.
1: That's our, that's our basketball segment. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Now the next one, we want to talk about speaking of weight and how I talked about strength training with injury resilience, Saquon Barkley, who was rumored to maybe come back this week, nearly three weeks from a high ankle sprain, but is now being held out—I would say very smartly—for um, next week. And so, you know, at Penn State, he had a very, very similar injury. He got bad, he missed two games, and came back in three weeks. And now he was on the brink of it. So he's another example of a guy, people are like, oh, he's a freak at healing and all these things. I wouldn't say he's a freak. I would just say he's very, very committed and disciplined to his fitness level and his strength and conditioning plan, which always sets you up to have a higher injury resilience. LeBron is the same way as well, to to set you up to have more injury resilience and come back quicker because your muscle and your body can now can take on more load and make up for these injuries quicker than other people yeah
1: i i really still have a hard time getting past the fact that a team selected him without building an offensive line or a um a real credible offense uh around him and running backs if that's your whole offense, they have a really short lifespan and I, it just bothers me to see someone of that immense talent um, burn years of, a, 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 you know, a notoriously short NFL life lifespan um, in a situation like that. So, you know, whenever any little, you know, these injuries happen and uh, it's not to say it wouldn't have happened somewhere else. It's just, and I would keep him out until they really legitimately build something
0: that they can protect, you know, a massive asset for their franchise. Oh, I absolutely agree with you. When I when the injury first happened and they gave that timeline of six to eight weeks, I was thinking, okay, like there are quicker return to play protocols. I did think he would be healthier before that. But in my mind, I'm thinking, what's the risk reward here for them? Sure, they won two games in a row with Daniel Jones being there. But is it really worth risking your franchise back, the face of your franchise, and bringing him back a little early? For example, Nick Bosa came back in five weeks, and although he had a, he's been great last week, he reaggravated his high ankle sprain week one, and it did affect his play the first couple of weeks. So there's always that risk reward. There's always that chance of reaggravation, especially for a position like running back where you're taking contact in high risk spots almost every time you touch the ball, Damn. especially when you're Saquon Barkley and you have a safety nine men in the box and they're coming after you right. and quietly as kept, they might be coming at that ankle because they know.
1: Well, so let me get your opinion on this. We haven't talked about this before. Um, I think one of the, one of the stats that are out there is that running backs who have to have 400 carries. They really never return to their former uh, form uh, if they have 400 carries in a season. That's sort of like a a um, a, a pretty damaging number uh, workload
0: wise. Yeah, uh, like the Eddie George what, rule. Yeah, what is what is your take on that? I mean, I haven't seen the the stats, so I haven't seen the validity on it. But just based on logic, it makes sense. You're putting a guy through 400 touches of that much contact in a season. It would It would make some sense that you're not really able to ever recover from that. And it impacts you for an extended amount of time.
1: Yeah, it's it's like you only get so many carries out of a typical running back, and there are always exceptions. There are guys that you know, uh, Lashawn McCoy is still somehow playing, you know, and and, and somewhat effective. Um,
0: but you know, statistically, but, but his, Go on. but his role has been more limited now as well. Yeah. He's he's still not a lead back. So right. I mean, a lot of the equation when it comes to running backs has certainly changed. You know what. With, with, Except in a in a few examples, McCaffrey, Kamara to an extent, but even those guys are getting touches in a different way, and it's a different game now. With when you're looking into the spread offenses, it's not just line them up, I form, get that fullback tight end behind you, like you know I mentioned Eddie George, but that was really grinded out football where you're getting hit between the tackles every single time. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's uh i i hope they preserve him because he really is a super talented player they, they have to commit to building around him to give him an opportunity to really fulfill his potential
0: right and they made a smart move having i mean a quarterback is a running back's best friend. So if you have a quarterback who's going to stretch the field, obviously you need what you need the the personnel on the outside as well to be able to stretch the field, back the safeties up, have them play two over the top rather than dropping that safety down and having the linebackers near the line of scrimmage, that's a running back's best friend as well. It is, but so, second,
1: third, and fourth on that list is a good tight end, a good uh, yeah. left tackle, good. and a good pulling guard.
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean football in the end is one in the trenches. I mean, I'm I grew up an Eagles fan and still I'm an Eagles fan. Um, but and for years with Reed and now Doug Peterson, the investment has always been up front first and foremost. Yep. If you don't get push on the offensive and defensive line, you're pretty much your team's gonna be null and void. So I think case in point of that is watching that Browns Niners game with the Niners D line just wrecking
1: shop. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's not sexy to invest in those things, but um, those guys do tend to last longer. So um, their careers tend to last a good bit. Um, And it's just always a good investment to try to get top quality linemen. um, Because if you can give your, every quarterback looks better with an extra half second of time, and every cornerback cornerback looks better with uh, you know an extra half second um, less when the ball has to come out. You know, if you make a cornerback guard, uh, you know, cover someone for six seconds, even even the best ones are are, are going to struggle.
0: Sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can play a little more aggressive when you have – if you're a corner and you know your front line, walk to the QB within three to four seconds, you can, you can play with that higher intensity level. The parallel I use is kind of like being a perimeter defender in the NBA, knowing you have paint protection behind you. Right. You can play a lot more aggressive. You have a lot more margin for error to be able – to play aggressive or, or, on the other side, if you know, you have like a free roaming safety, like a say Ed Reed behind you, you know, you have someone who can cover for your mistakes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally.
0: So s- speaking of mistakes um, <laughs> with the Braves, put d- the Braves down. What is it? 13 to one now, 13 to one, bottom seven. The last t- topic we wanted to really look into was you know, with playoff baseball going on and all the pressure that comes with it, and you see all these uncharacteristic mistakes, like the Dodgers, for example, chasing everything outside the zone, even though they had the lowest chase rate during of in of both leagues of any team in both leagues during the regular season, is how does stress impact performance? And for me, really the the way I thought of this is. When I listen to Dodger broadcasts, Oral Hershizer is one of our commentators. Obviously, you know, great lineage with pitching, pitching under pressure, right? And he always talks about something called, he always says, you want to, as a pitcher, when you're out there in a pressure situation, you have to be able to control your heart rate. And so it's really interesting how, I. it's an interesting thing to me because I hear these colloquialisms and I've heard a lot of coaches say it and it's actually kind of backed up by the science as well because heart rate is controlled by your nervous system so when your heart rate is lower it's actually an indication that you're in a more relaxed state called your parasympathetic nervous system which allows you to think critically whereas when you're really stressed it goes into your limbic lobe of your brain which kind of you're not really able to think well you're really, really stressed out, you're frazzled. Yeah. So it's just an interesting thing with these comments from coaches. They might not understand the science behind it, but it's you hear it. Yeah. And it's just an interesting parallel. Yeah. And and you look at the way the
1: way pitching is right now, placement is um, you know, precision. Ural Horst is a great example of someone. He I think of him and Greg Maddox, who are sort of masters at um you know, painting corners really, mm-hmm. really managing the placement of the ball, not not leaving things over the over the middle of the plate um, in big situations, and the playoffs often come down to you know those those little mistakes. Um, Baseball is notorious, especially with today's sort of try to hit over the shift. Um, Mm -hmm. bomb everything away one little mistake it's it's going out of the the yard um and some of these pitchers you see that they are so good with late action they're so good with ball movement um and so precise with their placement but when you add the stress of the playoffs the things that you have to do mechanically to, to generate that late movement you know a little bit of stress can really sort of take that out of the equation, a ball is flatter. It's not moving from the let's say middle end to the outside corner. Um, there's a there's a lot of little things that can really create problems in, in the playoffs. So it's an interesting uh, it's interesting transition how baseball goes from regular season to playoff play.
0: Right, right, and that's why I mean you earn your money in the postseason. For example, I mean a hu- one example. Unfortunately for the Dodgers, you know, for my fandom is Clayton Kershaw. You know, one of the most by far, undoubtedly one of the most dominant regular season pitchers, but certainly has had some major hiccups in the postseason. And so when I watch Kershaw, what I always think to myself, again, it's a colloquialism, you can see the gears turning in his head. Mm-hmm. He's 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 thinking far too much, and he stops. Trusting his off-speed pitch. You talked about location, especially when it comes to the postseason. And it's all about trusting your mechanics, right. trusting your off-speed. Off speed's much, it's a it's a feel pitch, it's a rhythm pitch. So you have to be able to trust your preparation, trust your mechanics. When you get stressed out and you start thinking about your mechanics, it actually interferes with the preparation you've put in. Because think about it, when you're normally throwing a pitch in the practice during practice you just throw the pitch you're not thinking i need to put my foot down or not when you if you're a professional right or you're unless you're learning a new pitch or something when you're just practicing like a bullpen session you're just throwing a pitch you're letting your motor pattern take over so when you start thinking about these things in your head it actually interferes with the neural network like ask nick anderson how that turns out so (laughs) yeah and and let's uh i'm a
1: big proponent for elite catchers who can manage a game and this is part of their job is to is to make that eye contact develop that trust with a pitcher to keep them locked in focused and um Mm sort of keep them from getting in their head like like a nick anderson or maybe some
0: some others the prime the prime example to me of a guy who just doesn't give a damn is Madison Bumgarner. Like for better or for worse, he comes out and he just, he just throws his, he just throws it. And so that's the type of mentality you need to have to be able to really execute under pressure. The more you think about the pressure, the more it's going to affect you. And I remember vividly going back to another parallel was LeBron, his first finals with the heat, He actually talked about afterwards the next season when he won. He said that that entire first finals with the Heat, he was just thinking about what are people going to say if I miss this? Or, you know, I'm just trying to prove people wrong. And the big difference for him that next season was just going out there and playing, and playing for himself and playing for his teammates and let the results, you know, be what they may.
1: Yeah. And that's perfectly normal for someone with his like we, I've talked about it before, but his super high intellect, not just basketball IQ, but just high intellect player, sometimes you're going to get caught up in the other factors and you're going to introduce variables that really are not helpful in the moment. So I think that's what we're talking about. When we talk about pressure, it's really like, can you block out all of the non-helpful variables and just focus in on what you need to do?
0: Yeah. And it's, it's a field that we've seen so much progress in. I mean, there's this, you know, you now have kind of the sports psychologists. you have the mindfulness training. Can you just focus on that moment? And like you said, drown out all those other variables that are going to interfere with your performance.
1: Yeah. And I think the leagues are investing in this. uh, So um, they have, they have supplied. I know the NBA has done it. The, the, uh, the mindfulness apps. Some players are are adopting it, um, and some uh, s- some think of it as a gimmick. I personally don't think of it as a gimmick. I think it's highly highly useful, uh, especially for rest and recovery. We may have talked about this last week, but I'll say it again: the ability to quickly transition from game mode where it's all very Mm -hmm. very intense and competitive uh quickly into rest and recovery mode without needing six hours after the game because you're so hyped up and amped up you can't rest being able to use techniques to sort of ease that transition into a restful you know sort of relaxed state can really add up over the course of a full season and those are the kind of things that maybe. Help you late, maybe maybe not so much in the in the playoffs because it is such a unique thing. But you know, late in a regular season uh, where you're able to just maintain focus and, and get away from the mental fatigue, or, or at least delay the mental fatigue.
0: No, yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that because it's funny because literally my client today we were talking about okay, you're able to hit the on switch. Are you able to hit the off switch right right afterwards? So the whole point of, I talked about nervous system before, parasympathetic being your relaxation, sympathetic being hitting the gas pedal, fight or flight, is everyone can get revved up. But are you able to now cool down and go into recovery? So something I always talk about with these clients who are athletes or, you know, anyone really, even after lifting is having a cool down. For me, I use a lot of breathing, deep breathing, rhythmic breathing to be able to get out of that stressed kind of, you know, jacked up mode and being allowing your body to relax and recover. So.
1: Totally. And we should, we should talk more about that. Hopefully when we have some really clean weeks and no one, no one is hurt, uh, we can we can dive into that stuff. I completely agree with that. I think that, you know, we know sleep is so important. So many people don't get enough sleep. It's one of those ways that you can really sort of like wind, wind yourself into a recovery mode. Um, even if you're not necessarily sleeping, but but I think it's a great, great topic. Um, but we're in the midst of a playoff run, and we're in the midst of having all four major. The great thing about October is all, all four major sports are playing, and we are in the WNBA finals. So let's yes. let's say there are five sports, and we're heading into MLS playoff. Uh, very uh, MLS playoffs very soon, so October is the best month in sports. That's I'm and Pr- Premier League for myself. So we'll see. I I don't know where the Premier League is in their in their schedule. I just can't figure it's, out how that all works.
0: Well, it's international break right now. It's two oh, okay. week break, but okay. it's still it's still mid season. Yeah, early on in the season, but still, like you said, though, right now is pretty much the heart of all sports. Uh, my wife is not happy with me (laughs) during these times, but it is, it is what it is. And so, but anyway, so on that note, we pretty much covered all the topics for the day. Yeah. Anything else you want to add?
1: No, I'm excited to get through the preseason. I want to see a lot of, a lot of the new shiny toys, a lot of the new shiny schemes in basketball. I think some of these, some of these rosters and lineups are really interesting. And, uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm also not so excited for the on the court. I don't want to say excited. I'm interested to see how all these off court developments with China plays out. Because I just heard, I read a tweet right now. I think from Keith Smith saying that it's possible that the cap might drop by ten to fifteen percent based off some of the loss in revenue so, from China if it goes through.
1: Uh, yeah, I.
0: Uh, China is an a extremely
1: proud nation. They are very serious about things, but they also really love basketball. Tencent invested one point five billion dollars into that TV contract. Um, that is a lot of money. I don't. I don't see them completely walking away from that investment. Um, so. Um, i hear i hear the rumblings around the reduced salary cap that is definitely an interesting thing i'm not sure i entirely buy it uh at the end of the day uh money is a is a major factor on both sides And it's probably just a negotiating tactic to maybe squeeze out a little more um
0: capitulation
1: on the part of the of the league
0: so i agree it's, it sounds like posturing but then again my lens is that's how i view my lens for america i don't know right. the chinese government mindset enough especially when it comes to how they view Maury's statement on Hong Kong. And, and they have a pretty hard line stance, especially since 2016. They have a new then secretary administrator, something like that. I can't remember the exact title. So they've taken a much harder stance in recent years. But again, like you, I feel like there's too much to lose here for both sides. There has to be some sort of reconciliation goes on and it's probably going to require silver to issue some sort of apology to to give China to save face.
1: Yeah. And I, I think it's at the end of the day, this is an entertainment product and, um, we should not have ultra high expectations for an entertainment product to be too heavily, um, too heavily invested in wading through geopolitical topics. You know, whatever they need to do to sort of end this, I do think they should do. I, I know there's a lot of criticism around this, but these are complicated topics. This is a lot of history that goes into this. And it's not as simple as one tweet here, one protest there. So, you know, agreed. And And I'll tell you, Tencent... Is truly massively invested. I mean, they had reporters at every game. They had an entire section at mm-hmm. summer league. They are truly invested in this in this NBA relationship. Um, I expect it to get worked out. I'm, I you know I, I I hope that everyone comes out of it um, with with uh, respect. All due respect to everyone involved. Uh it's tricky. Adam Silver does not have an easy job as a commissioner. His job has never really been easy. Um I think he's done a fairly good job in the past um navigating some tricky topics.
0: Likewise, I agree with you. At at the very, very least, this will expose a lot of individuals to how China does business a little bit. It'll pull back the veil a little bit for people who might not pay attention to that sort of thing unless it you know, pops up in their purview, which is basketball. A lot of basketball fans may not go in and look into those geopolitics, but this might expose them to some new nuances and details of that relationship. And hopefully on this pod, we've also exposed you to some new details and nuances on other topics as well. And we hope to do so in the future. So that's a wrap for this episode. You can always find me on Twitter, Instagram at three CB Performance. That's three Charlie Beta Performance. And Jason, for yourself, you want to plug that one more time? Uh, sure, uh, Jayblevin's MBA on Twitter. Um...
1: And thepaintedlines.com is our website. That is also our YouTube channel, by the way. Uh, we are about to go over uh, a milestone of one million minutes watch on our YouTube channel. Pretty happy about that. And uh, Very nice. And we are, uh, you know, we're going to bring you uh, MBA-focused. Uh, we also write about other topics, but yeah, we're, uh, we're looking forward to a great season and I'm looking forward to many more of these discussions. Cause this is, this is how I like to, how I like to look at problems. So I appreciate you having me.
0: Yeah. Appreciate you being here, man. Thanks for listening everyone. We'll catch y'all next week.